Sunflower Podcast is your go-to podcast for entrepreneurship and business strategy. This is the Sunflower Podcast. Welcome back to the Sunflower Podcast. I'm Andrew Olson, and here with my co-host is Rob Ryan. Hello. So, Rob, you know, in our in our first episode, we really talked about your background with Ascend Communications, building you know a multi-billion-dollar company. Um, we left off when you were about at 18 million in revenue, your board wants to sell the company, um, and you want to stop that from happening. You want to save the company and reinvent it. What happens then? How do you do that? So there was a, a very trying time for the company. Um, as you can imagine, I didn't disagree with the board that we were, um, tapped out in the market that we were in. We were a a really big fish in a, in a small pond. But I disagreed vehemently on selling the company for about 35 million. For a lot of reasons, it, it didn't reward all of the people that worked uh, their buns off for, for the years, including myself um, and the other co-founders. And I convinced the board by explaining to them that the engineers and myself would not stay with this new entity. Uh, and that would be really detrimental for the new entity. And given that I've now told them that in advance, they would have to disclose that to the new entity. That's the benefit of having a lawyer for a wife. Um, <laughs> and they were kind of angry. I would say they were buzzing like a beehive, you know, at, at me and they asked me if I'm blackmailing. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm just stating a fact. This effect. Um, and they said, what do you want? And I said, all I want is a chance to reinvent ourselves again. And they said, how much of a chance? I said, a year, but I'll take six months. Um, they said, six months. I said, okay. So the team and I um, didn't start right that minute. Um, it was about a week before we got our, our start. And before that, I had, I had gone up to my little cabin and I had a little tiny cabin up at uh, Yosemite. It was in a town called Fish Camp at 8,000 feet and I got snowed in. So I went up there Friday and Sunday, it was like five feet of snow surrounding me and I'm snowed in and I, and I call and say, I kind of get in on, <clears throat> until late Monday or possibly Tuesday um, with this. But when I was snowed in, there's you know coffee table uh, magazine called the Harvard Business Review that I hadn't even picked up that somehow I, I guess taken up with me. And there was an article in there by CK Prahalada called The Core Competencies of Honda. And normally I don't read the Harvard Business Review or pay any attention to what the academics are doing and entrepreneurship. But I actually read that article, uh, which was unusual for me. And I really enjoyed it. And it talked about, you know, the basic concept of the core competencies and its relationship to products and the corporation and how core competencies are king, products are offshoot. And so I went back really fired up. I had the team, the collaborators all read the little article. And then we met on a Monday or a Tuesday and we, we were off site. 
And we spent uh, our time trying to, in real time now we're doing this uh, on the whiteboard. Uh, I said, let's just figure out who we are, what we're good at, what are our core competencies? And this doesn't sound very hard um, until you do it because the, either you start giving me answers that are very high flutin answers that are sound like marketing jingles that are useless, or you're giving me micro answers that are so detailed that nobody in their right mind knows what you're talking about. Um, so finding out the right way to express what your competencies were as a company um, took us a while. What we ended up with was we do digital dialing and analog dialing um, networking hardware and software. And then we said, okay, we wrote that down and we wrote it in the center of a circle. And uh, then we said, well, wait a second, we do that and we do it for any type of switch and any protocol in the world, any country in the world. So we put all these N's down. So it looked like a spoken wheel. So that became a little bit of the center of our sunflower. But I didn't know I was growing the sunflower at that point because we didn't have a terminology of sunflower. So the, the next stage, I asked the team to figure out which competencies are keepers and which ones we're not gonna worry about. And to do that, we set up the whole concept of criteria, which none of the team knew what the heck I was talking about. I was uh, trained as a PhD logician in uh, mathematics. And so I told them you know, what I meant by criteria and I gave them examples. So I said, one criteria is the uniqueness of our technology. The other is the market um, size of its opportunity. Those are two examples of, of, cri of criteria. And they, oh, okay. So the team started to get it and they just sort of you know, wailed away for a while, but then we kind of whittled it down to three competence criterias called uniqueness, value, and leverageability. And we said, these three are super important that it be unique, that it be valuable to the customer and that it be leverageable, that we could leverage it. And they all agreed that all of the others were okay, but not nearly as good as those three. So we use that as those three as the prism for deciding on whether it, your competency was worth you know, worrying about or not. And to do that, we did a scoring system. So a decision matrix, if, if you will, allowed everybody to score one to 10 of how good a competency was in relationship to those three, you know, um, uniqueness, value, and logic. And as it turned out, we we had decided we picked a set of competencies, and we said we're going to stick with these. These are our competencies. This is who we are. We could put other things down, but they, we don't think they're that meaningful. And that brought us to stage two of this sunflower method, which was. How do we use that to ideate? How do you use that to build ideas? So it's like a Lego set with the competencies helping you to build ideas. And we began that process. The team had competencies and then I said, here's, here's the next stage guys, gals, we had both. Um, come up with any ideation you want 
it can be either a whole industry. You say, well, we should be in this industry. It could be a specific idea, like we should do this, or a specific algorithm or a specific service. Anything is okay. The only rule you have, the only rule you have is one rule. It has to utilize the competencies or the a majority of the competencies that we have. We call it the two-thirds rule. So if it uses two-thirds of the competencies we have and you have to find another third, that's okay. But if you don't use at least two-thirds of what we have, then that was not okay. So they started to come up with, we call them opportunities or ideations, ideas. Um, and they came up with a lot, let's say 10 or 15. And then we had a team of about six in, in the room at, at that point. So I said, what do you think we should do with this? And at this point, I'm on a roll because I'm inventing all of this sort of on the fly and it's all occurring at the whiteboard. And they said, well, we don't have a clue, but we kind of like the process right now. So let's, let's see what the next thing brings. And I said, well, criteria. Remember the criteria we talked about earlier? Well, we're going to have a new set of criteria for these ideations. Each one of you in the room are gonna come up with four criteria. That's the, the thing in your brain by which you're gonna say, I like that idea versus that idea. And every single one of you have to contribute. I don't want any wallflowers sitting, sitting in, in the room. So six people, you got 24 cri criteria, or actually we got 30 criteria. Some people were extra generous. They came up with multiples. Um, and <clears throat> so now we have 30 criteria and 15 ideas. Well, what does that produce? It produces another matrix, doesn't it? A matrix to do decisions and voting. And we allowed the team to go into a voting process of which idea ranks the best amongst all of the criteria. And lo and behold, the internet infrastructure idea was number one, Number two was another internet idea. And number three was another internet idea. And our current business was in fourth place. The video communications, $18 million business was in fourth place. And the team, I asked them what they thought of the process so far, since I was making it up on the fly. They actually told me they loved it, but they were befuddled by how we ended up with three things ahead of our current business. At, at that point, I offered to go back through the whole process again and take another day or two and review or you know, suggested maybe some of them are holding back some things from me because it's important that a team is forthcoming and actually gives you the data, no egos. Only rule in, in my team meetings was respect. There's no disrespectful crap, otherwise I kick them out. And I used that, that rule all through the years when after Ascend, when I probably have done hundreds of teams going through Sunflower. Be respectful, listen, and you know, anything you say, we'll do the same. You know, we'll be respectful. In any case, we started to put that together. It turned out the internet was the, the winner, but what does the winner mean? Um, this is 1991. I mean, the freaking internet wasn't a commercial activity at that point. It was a whole bunch of internet providers that were close to blackout, close to bankruptcy. Um, 
So they asked me what I thought the next stage was. And I said, well, we, we need more data. So we taught, we, we called it the walkabout. Um, we did a physical walkabout, not a Zoom walkabout, but we went and visited 190 internet service providers who are our targets, we thought, for what we potentially could build because we remember having built anything. Um, each of these internet providers um, agreed to see us for 10 or 15 minutes. And why did they do that, you ask yourself? Well, we were having, I was having my engineers call them. And when I called, I called as a founder, not as a CEO selling them something. And so they said, oh, okay, yeah, we'll listen. And then when we came, we said, we don't have anything to sell you. We have some core competencies that we enjoy and there's a product over here that reflects that. So you, you can look at this product and see we can build things. But what we wanted to do is ask you three questions. And each of us had the same three questions. So we compiled data on about 150 internet providers um, on three questions. Um, and the biggest question was, what is keeping you up at night and what's going to make an extinction event uh, for your, your business? Because they were going blackout. Um, and they told us in great detail. Uh, and then the second question was, why haven't some of the major networking companies, and we named them, been in here to help you on this? And they said, we've had them all in and they do not help. And so we found out really good data. And I said, well, why is that? So they said, well, because they don't know the wide area networking world. They know the local networking world. You're the first team that's come in that's known the wide area networking world. And I said, oh, okay, interesting. So that little walkabout was amazing. We found more criteria. And with that criteria, we, we rolled it back into the model, recranked the model, and our decision came out even stronger. I mean, it was like on the edge before, but now it came, it came out super strong. The third stage was after we went and presented to the board. We went and presented the first and second stages outcomes. But I have to tell you on the walkabout, I wasn't satisfied with just a nice walkabout and compilation of data. I asked the customer, several of them, about four of them, uh, for an order. These were the customers that seemed to be prospects most engaged. And so we went through this whole dance where how, do, how can you get an order from us? You don't have anything to deliver and you know, how do you price it? But the pricing algorithm was very simple. How much does it cost to put a hundred users on right then? And they told me and I said, great, um, I'm gonna charge you two thirds of that. Um, and wow. I knew that we could build the equipment and for way less than that. And so three of them gave me checks for 100,000 for two units, never cash the check. That was a commitment to them, by the way. I wouldn't cash it until they had the units. Um, but when I went to the board, I had a board meeting now explaining our ideas. So here's the beauty. Sunflower then was used as the presentation tool. We could put Sunflower up and what we did, we could put the petals up, which was the ideations that we looked at, that we could color the ones that we had rank ordered, you know, number one, number two. 
And they were blown away. The board was blown away. Where did this come from? Um, but the whole presentation blew them away. By the end of the meeting, they had agreed to fund us uh, for at least a, a year or more. In fact, they added money. They threw more money in, 11 million uh, more money in. And the third stage of Sunflower is what I call king of and building strategies so that you can be a dominant uh, player. It's by far the most fun stage, but we'll probably leave that in future podcasts because it's a very complicated stage. It depends on more knowledge on the first two stages. So you have this new product idea. How, and you know, the board, they, they agree to not sell the company and to give you more time and more money to develop this. But how long after you had these initial orders for you know, this new product, did you start seeing growth within Ascend? So we did something very smart. In order to get prototypes to the early believers, we had quite a few believers. We took our old video box, the hardware, and we bastardized it. We added some what's called daughter cards to make it function in a different way for us. Uh, and then we added the software on those cards that were required to run in the world of the internet. And that got us a kludgy box so overnight. Why was that interesting? Well, those boxes from the video world um, had in some cases up to four megabits of throughput on them. But even one megabit of throughput um, would allow a lot of users to dial into that box potentially. And they could begin testing our true believers on these boxes, which were the kludges. While they were testing, we were running and cutting a new piece of hardware, designing the new hardware, you know, to make it a non a non kludge. And and not only designing the new hardware, but actually designing in a way that we minimize the hardware and maximize the software so that it would cost us less you know, to build this thing. But Jeanette and her genius and her software group did most of the functions in, in, in software. And here's what happened. When these prototypes were out the early stage, the ISPs, the internet service providers, they fell in love with the stuff and they started telling their friends about it who were other ISPs in other territories. And they started ordering. We started getting orders, $100,000 checks for two units for testing. Now, of course, we didn't want to deliver all the kludges. Um, we delivered some kludges and we even told them these are the kludges for early on. We'll replace them with the new, the new hardware when the hardware is out. Hardware is not instantaneous. Software, you know, is not instantaneous either, but when you're doing software and hardware, you're really in a complex uh, world. Our customers went along with that and the checks rolled in. So it was the beginning of a kind of a fantasy uh, opening there, right? Uh, is this for real or is there some hidden trap door here? You know? Wow. <clears throat> So you start, you know, the company starts growing like crazy. Um, and just a couple years later in 1994, you decided to take an IPO. 
Was that your decision? Was that the board's decision? What made you want to take, you know, an IPO from being privately held? So it was my team and I's decision. Um, We definitely wanted to go IPO. Um, I had to tell you, the board was not overly thrilled. In fact, it was the only time that um, it it was, I forced it to a board vote. because normally boards are very congenial. You don't vote like three to two, you know. Um, but in this case, there were board members that felt we had uh, only been profitable one or two quarters uh, and we didn't have enough maturity to withstand the being a public company. That was their feeling. And that we would miss our numbers and then we would be hammered. Um, I felt different. I felt that we would not miss our numbers and we had enough maturity to, to deal with the financial world. Um, so it was forced to a vote. Uh, I won the vote. We, we went out public with Morgan Stanley uh, as the lead. I think Piper Jaffrey and Robertson Stevens from San Francisco were the three that took us out. It was fully booked. But, you know, compared to today's IPOs, it's so minuscule, it's like a mice's nuts, really. Um, It was like a $140 million valuation in the public offering, 140 million. So if you had bought shares at the Ascend 140 million public offering valuation, a few years later, five years later, that would have been worth 25 billion. Um, Wow. So that would have been one of your best investments, regardless of whether you were a founder or not. Just buying in at the at the public at a public trade. Um, in any case, the Sen began to actually uh, double, 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 double. I think it doubled four or five times. It split five times, and it rapidly moved up. And we exceeded all of our quarterly numbers and started to explode. So the 18 million went to 35, to went to 100, no, went to 70, went to 150, 150 to 600 million, 600 million to 1.4 billion in revenue. All of this profitable, all of it very, very profitable. And the profitability and revenue numbers, and I track two numbers at the board level, and I think your listeners might be interested in these numbers. One is, Revenue per employee. Now, if you don't have revenue, this number is obviously useless. The other is profit per employee. But those two numbers tell a lot about a company that has revenue and profits because it tells how unbelievably efficient that company is or isn't. So Ascend's revenue per employees was two and a half million revenue per employee. And its profit per employee was almost a, almost a million profit per employee. Wow, so that's impressive. We were written up as the, the highly most efficient, unbelievable company, the cover of Forbes, you know, and it, the article was try competing with this company. Um, and obviously that got us even more customers, right? Because everybody wants to be with a winner and more employees wanted to work for us. So we 
have less trouble hiring. Silicon Valley is hard to hire. It's even worse now, but it was hard to hire even back then. Um, so, you know, you're a really hot company, mid nineties to late nineties. I can imagine, you know, eventually send sells to Lucent in 99 for 24 billion. I can imagine there were a lot of offers along the way before, you know, that Lucent offer, were there? Yeah, there were many offers along the way. Uh, we had um, 150, 250, 400 million. We had pretty compelling um, offers. Um, you know, these weren't insignificant amounts. Um, it took, I think, a lot of courage on the board's part and my part, um, you know, to review those offers, um, at which we did, and say no, uh, that we felt that we were on, we were on a on a surfboard on a tsunami wave, and we were riding this wave incredibly well. Yeah. Um, this wave kept building, you know. <clears throat> so it was a gamble, uh, but our results spoke that we were doing that. Um, so the board didn't sell at that point. Good decision, board. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, your results really, you know, showed for themselves in those days. Um, the internet, you know, wasn't what it is today back then. And really Ascend came in and saved it from going under and, you know, saved it from blackout. Do you think if Ascend, you know, wasn't there, do you think the internet would be what it is today? Yeah, it's, that's an incredibly compelling question, by the way, and one that I've thought about. Now, Eagle would say, no, of course not. It, you know, the internet would have disappeared without Ascend. I'm not going to say that. What I am gonna say is that it took a whole set of unique core competencies and a team that enjoyed those core competencies in the wide area networking space, building hardware and software at just exactly the right time. As far as we knew, no other team was around at that point in time. Does that mean that a year downstream, some other team would have popped out? probably some other team would have popped out a year downstream. Um, hard to tell, right? But at, at that point in time, we were kind of in the, um, in the position of the team with, uh, with the jewels. Um, would the internet survived another year? Honestly, two thirds of them that we had talked to were going out of business. They were going bankrupt. AOL was being sued by 25 district attorneys wow. and attorney generals around the, the country. It was a mess. So we could clearly have gone black. Uh, they didn't want to go black, by the way, because their customers didn't want it, but they weren't scaling and making money. And that's what we solved that problem. You know, their scaling is how you know, we allowed them to make money and we made money, of course, but then everybody got to enjoy it, right? Customers then were coming on at that point, and I don't know that your your listeners or laugh, will laugh at me, but you know the corporations didn't want anything to do with the internet. I mean, they were on VPNs and such, and no way, you know, uh, are they going to go and get their data onto the internet? Um, because right. well, security, um, well. 
partly they were correct, but over time, as you notice, they all get caved in and everybody's on, on the internet and they were kind of right. There is security issues as you all know. Um, but it was touch and go, who was gonna keep the internet alive? But there were a lot of people keeping it alive and the email was keeping it alive. Uh, porn was keeping it alive, you know? Basic kind of file services were keeping keeping it alive, and a lot of people were subscribing to you know nine dollar or fifteen dollar a month or twenty dollar a month um, services. Wow. Well, Rob, I think we're just about out of time today, but you know next week I really want to dive deep into what the sunflower model is, starting with core competencies and going from there. So. Thank you everyone for joining us on Sunflower Podcast today. Uh, I'm Andrew Olson, been here with Rob Ryan, entrepreneurial guru. Um, Go ahead and follow us on LinkedIn. We're at Sunflower Academy on LinkedIn. Uh, You can go ahead and follow Rob too on LinkedIn. He's Rob Ryan on LinkedIn. If you have a question that you'd like to ask Rob to have an answer here on the air, uh, go ahead and message us at Sunflower Academy on LinkedIn. You can also find us on the web at sunfloweracademy.com. Uh, We have a lot of great visuals of the Sunflower model there that Rob was explaining in this episode. You can also read uh, read Rob's book, which is Smart Ups, published by Cornell Press. has a lot of great stories from Rob's career and Rob's uh, business expertise in there. Uh, Once again, I'm Andrew Olson. been here with Rob Ryan, and we will talk to you next week here on Sunflower Podcast.